0: Well, here we are this morning again in our series on 3 John, and we've been on 3 John now for a little while, and we've seen a number of, I hope that you would understand to be heartwarming truths. We've seen, number one, in our introductory study on on 3 John, how that John prioritized the reality of Christian truth, and there's a sense in which every individual that we see in this small epistle has some relationship to the truth. You might remember that when John first wrote and John made mention of Gaius himself, the beloved Gaius, this man who had this very intimate relationship with God, with the Lord Jesus Christ and with truth, this man who John says that the truth was in, and this man who John said walked according to the truth, and you remember one of the things that we picked up on last week was essentially this, this idea of truth ingrained in the soul and truth expressed in the life is really one of the hallmarks of what we described last week as soul prosperity. You remember what we said about soul prosperity? That soul prosperity is that state or condition of the soul wherein the individual rightly related to God the Father, reconciled by the work of Jesus Christ, having and knowing the work of the Spirit within them, that's the prospering of the soul. And we saw that it is a blessed experience that each and every one of us can enter into, that state of soul prosperity. But we also saw a number of other things. Again, the relationship that Gaius had to the truth, very significant, and very much a pattern for each and every one of us. But we also saw that there were individuals in this epistle of 3 John who were propagating the truth. And those were those itinerant ministers that were sent out from John. Those were the ones that we read of, that we saw. They went out for the, for the name's sake, for the, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This great kind of guiding principle, everything being done for the sake of the name. We tried to emphasize to some degree the reality of the reverence of that expression, the sake of the name. We tried to express something of the reality of the preciousness of that expression, the sake of the name. And what is the name of Jesus Christ to you here this morning? The name of Jesus Christ is that sweetest name, is it not? And so, again, this relationship of these individuals to the truth. Gaius was supporting the truth. These itinerant preachers were propagating the truth. But sadly, we had to remark that this is not all that we saw We saw a third individual, and he is the individual we'll be considering this morning, and that was the individual Diotrephes. And what we said about Diotrephes, just by way of introduction, was that Diotrephes was the man who hindered the truth. He hindered the truth, and we used that word purposely, because one of the things that we saw that we were really not able to say about Diotrephes was the fact that Diotrephes was not so much an antagonist toward the truth, he was not so much... Hostile to the truth as much as he was a hindrance to the truth, and there was in the life of this man Diotrephes something that we will take a look at today. We'll get into more detail about Diotrephes of sin, but the last individual that we saw and we'll consider him next week was that man Demetrius, and what a wonderful man Demetrius uh, was or is. Demetrius, you remember, is that man who has that threefold witness. The truth witnesses concerning diatrophies. Uh, All men, he has a good witness uh, 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 among those who he interacts with. All men witness well of Diotrephes, And even John himself witnesses toward the trustworthiness of of diatrophies. And so in, in this, what we see is essentially this. This man had a threefold witness. Very encouraging thing to think that you and I can have that same type of threefold witness as well. That the truth can speak well of us. What what would that look like? To where our lives in one sense, or an open epistle, and when when this epistle is compared with this epistle, we see there is a correspondence there. And that's something that we are seeing by way of what the pattern of truth is. It was true that way for Gaius. It was true that way for Demetrius. Sadly, it was not true of this man, Diotrephes. And so Diotrephes is the man that we're going to have to take a look at here this morning. And what I hope to do when we take a look at Diotrephes here this morning is to do basically two things. I want, you to, I want to see from uh, verses 9 and 10 uh, the following things by way of how John interacts with Diotrephes. Number one, John is going to give us an account of Diotrephes. And in the account of Diotrephes, what we're going to see is a number of predominant sins that mark this man Diotrephes. He has one Core sin, we might say, and from that core sin, a number of other sins flow out. But we're going to take a look at that. And the second thing we're going to see by way of how John interacts with Diotrephes is he not only gives an account of Diotrephes, he also will take action toward Diotrephes, and we'll consider that as well. And so each of these things uh, we've been looking at. And so what I want you to be aware of, first and foremost, is this concerning this man, the atrophies. And again, let's just take a look at verses 9 and 10. I wrote unto the church, but the who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, when I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Where here we have, again, this man, theotrophes. And what I want you to see about him is the following. In Diotrephes, what we have is a man who, while he was probably a man that was naturally talented and naturally gifted, there's a sense in which what we would have to say about Diotrephes is that Diotrephes was probably that guy in the room that would naturally stand out. He was probably that guy in the room that people would be naturally attracted to. He probably had what we would call those leadership characteristics. And so this is probably what was part of Diotrephes' base makeup, we might say, or basic makeup, we might say. And so as I say here, when we come to Diotrephes, we come to a man who, while he was probably a man with natural gifts and abilities, was also a man whose personality traits were never sanctified by the Holy Spirit, nor submitted to the Lordship of Christ as such. And as such, he was not only a difficult man to deal with, he was also a detriment to the church. He was not a destroyer from without like Paul once was. He was detrimental to the church in that he did not allow the truth of the gospel to go forward as it should. Of him, we are reminded of the words of Paul in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth and some to honor, and some to dishonor. A very interesting way to look at theotrophes, isn't it? Here is a man in the church, a man, as I said before, who probably had great natural gifts, but those gifts were never sanctified by the Spirit of God. In one sense, we can say of Diotrephes, he never became what he should have became because by way of an unsanctified approach to his living and a refusal to submit all that he was to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, there was something of a stuntedness in his growth. Whereas uh, whereas Gaius prospered in his soul, Diotrephes shrank in his soul. Whereas Gaius was that one who was very open and magnanimous and very much supportive of the truth, Diotrephes was, was that man of whom if the truth did not go through him, it would not go at all. And as a result of that, the man shrank. And so what we see in the life of this man, the is something we must all be very careful of. Natural gifts, natural abilities, natural talents. Have they been submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Are they being sanctified by the work of the Spirit of God within us? If not, you and I can be a detriment to the church while we are in the church. And that's what we see with this man, the and that's why I say, that's why I look at this passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. I think it's very appropriate here. Notice again the passage, 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. But in a great house, this is the church of Jesus Christ. There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. Well, whatever else Diotrephes was, he was not a vessel unto honor. And yet there he was, in a position in the church, in a position to influence what the church was doing. In a position to hinder the truth from going forward. And so, in this man, Diotrephes, we see a very, very difficult character. A man who we must examine, a man who we must be aware of, a man who we must, by the grace of God, not emulate in our own lives. And so, in looking at, at Diotrephes, we then have to deal with his sins. What a sad thing to say about a man, first thing out of the box that when I talk to you about diatrophies, the first thing I have to tell you about diatrophies is a sin. What a sad thing, isn't it? Wouldn't it be much better to speak about Gaius? Gaius, who loved the truth. Gaius, who was the beloved of John. Gaius, who knew what it was to support and have the truth going out, Or maybe Demetrius, that man with that threefold witness. The truth itself witnesses well of Demetrius. What a wonderful thing. But when it comes to diatrophies, what must we do? We must speak first and foremost about his sin. Reminds us, does it not, when we read of the Old Testament kings, such and such lived so many years or such and such did this and he did did evil in the sight of the Lord. What a sad thing. An epitaph on a life. A one sentence conclusion of maybe 80 years of living. And that's what you and I will have one day. And when people speak of us in that one sentence, what will it be? When people think of us in that one thought, what will it be? Will it be maybe at the best the kindness of silence? Or will or will it be in truthfulness the disaster that sin wreaked upon our own life and threw us on the lives of others? May God save us from what we see in Diotrephes here. And so again, what a sad thing to have to mention about this man Diotrephes. First thing out of the box we have to mention is sin. And when it comes to his sin, we have something of a full account. Now, I would not be surprised if Diotrephes had more sins than what we see here, but he has at least six sins that we see here. A pretty sad thing. Again, we see them in verses 9 and 10, and they are the following. He loves to have the preeminence. Now, this again is his guiding sin. This, in one sense, is the engine that drives every other sin. This, in one sense, is the root that bears the evil fruit, this love of preeminence. And we'll have to spend some time with that. But that's his first sin. Secondly, we see he receives us not. John is saying essentially this, that not only is he not receiving the itinerant preachers who are going out, John is saying, to our ears, sounds very strange, John is saying that he doesn't even receive John's own apostolic authority. And that's a very significant uh, de- defect. That's a very significant sin. We're going to see shortly the, where you, you might remember where the Lord Jesus Christ says to his apostles, whosoever receives you receives me. And here is this man, Diotrephes, uh, not receiving John. What does that say? We see other things as well. Not only does he not receive John, but he speaks evil. There in, in, uh, in, uh, in, 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 uh, in verses 9 and 10, prating against us with malicious words. These were things that the Scriptures very clearly forbid the Christian. This pratting against, this babbling, this this speaking empty and vain words. And not just empty, vain words without any mal intent. They were specifically malicious words. And so there's a sense in which Diotrephes, in order to strengthen his own position because he loved the preeminence, makes sure that everybody else around him, everybody knows what's wrong about that one, what's wrong about this one, what's wrong about that one. You see, that whole idea... (laughs) individuals that sometimes we are very uncomfortable to be around. You know the type. We're around them, and they're not talking bad about you when they're talking to you. But when they're talking to you, they're talking bad about this one, and they're talking bad about that one. They're talking about, And you wonder, when the conversation is done, I wonder what they're saying about me when I'm not around. There are people like that. And by way of doing that, what we're seeing here with Diotrophes is, in order to build himself up, he must destroy to some degree John. So these these, uh, these evil, these malicious words, not only does he not receive John, he does not receive the brethren, it might not sound like much, but you remember how important Christian hospitality was that second sermon that we looked at, excuse me the first sermon that we looked at here in third John, we spent that time on Christian, uh, Christian hospitality and we took a look at the fact that Christian hospitality was in one sense the rails upon which the train of the gospel moved. Let Christian churches forbid Christian hospitality. Guess what's happening? The forward progress of the gospel is being withheld. And so again, this idea of Diotrephes not receiving those who were preaching the truth was a great hindrance to the truth. Again, neither receiving the brethren. And forbiddeth them that would do such. Now, this is an amazing thing to see by way of Diotrephes' authority, by way of his power, by way of, as I said before, something of that natural makeup. You we know these kind of people. People who have such a powerful personality that not only are they able to, again, uh, say something or do something, they're able to stop any kind of movement that goes in front of them unless they give the positive check to let it go forward. This was the atrophies. Again, for, uh, forbidding, um, uh, forbidding them that would show the, uh, uh, the hospitality. And then lastly, we see here, he cast them out of the church. Very interesting thing here. This little word "to cast out of the church" is used in John chapter nine. You might remember when the when the man that was born blind, that great that great confession that he gives concerning Jesus Christ uh, to the religious leaders, and as they are interrogating him, and he says very manfully and very faithfully, "Look, I don't know what you think of him." He has to be a prophet from God because I was the one's blind, and now I see. And they get offended. What, are you going to preach to us? And what do they do? They cast him out. Literally, they cast him out of the synagogue. And so, again, Diatrophes has this very much of a domineering uh, kind of attitude, a domineering personality. He is really, as I said before, he is really hindering the forward progress of the gospel. Now, at one point, it would be very easy here to to really... uh, Go in the direction that paints Diotrephes in even a worse picture than what we've already seen. But what's interesting is that when we look at the Epistle of Third John and when we compare it with First and Second John, what we do not see John doing at this point is that John is not bringing to task Diotrephes for any kind of a doctrinal error or deviation. And you remember in 1 John and in 2 John as well how important doctrinal fidelity is. When you look at 1 John, one of the things that you see is this idea that, that the, 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 uh, the proof of, of Christian experience has doctrinal elements to it as well as ethical or moral elements to it. And what we see John doing in 1 John over and over again is stating the reality concerning the person of Christ, the reality of his incarnation, the reality of the fact that he truly manifested himself in the flesh. Warning in 2 John, uh, in 2 John if any man comes and brings not this doctrine do, doctrine, do not let him into your house, neither bid him godspeed. speed. We don't see that about Diotrephes. And it is kind of an interesting thing to consider. And so what Diotrephes seems to be is a man whose sins were not so much doctrinal errors, but we're going to see that they were, they were serious sins. But they weren't so much doctrinal errors as they were personal character flaws. But not just character flaws. They were sins. And there's a sense in which we have to say that about ourselves. That our character flaws are not just, hey, this is who I am. Take me or leave me. Oftentimes, our character flaws are flat out sins. And we're just dressing them up under another, uh, under another uh, designation. And this is what we see with this man, Diotrephes. And so again, his sins sixfold. But what's interesting is that when we look at his sins in general, what we see is that we can classify his sins in the three broad categories. Three very helpful categories. Three very often used categories. Diotrephes' sins are sins of words, our sins of thought, our sins of word, and our sins of deed. Now you know these categories. If you've spent any time with any of the historical uh, catechisms in the church, uh, you know that sins of thought, word and deed, are very significant. Sins of thought, word and deed, in one sense, are comprehensive of all the kind of sins that individuals fall into. And what we see here is by way of thought, The atrophy's sin was this sin of preeminence. He was that man who loved to have the first place. He was that man who always had to have the final word. He was that man whose stamp of approval had to be on all things. He was that man who, in his love of preeminence, so focused on self, lost sight of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And there's where the great sin is. In our opening scripture readings, we read those classic passages of scripture concerning Christology. Colossians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus, who, though being in the form of God, thought not to be equal with God, but humbled himself. Again, Colossians chapter 1, 18, that in all things he should have the preeminence. And when we become so self focused and so self orientated, when that gift of God given self preservation becomes twisted into self seeking and self centeredness, at the end of the day, we may even lose sight of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. How does this man become a leader in the church? How does this man become so influential in the church? How does this man have so much impact? You see how careful we ought to be, and we'll get back to that whole thing here shortly. But his first sin, as I said, was a sin of thought. It was a sin of preeminence. His second was a sin of of word. Again, this pratting, this, this babbling, this... This, this speaking out against John and not just speaking empty words, but actually speaking malicious words. You know, I was, I was thinking as putting this all together, you remember from the Old Testament, uh, Nabal, when David sends his men to, to ask if uh, Nabal would, would give some of the uh, produce of his field to, to David's uh, men. Nabal says, well, who's David basically? You know, you got all these guys running around uh, trying to do this and that. Why, why should I? Why, why should I accept? Uh, why should I accept David? That's the same thing on the part of that Who's John? Why should I accept the ministers he sends out? Or, you know, you know how old John is now. And, and, and we should still go on with what he's saying. You see this kind of attitude that can kind of come out. And so Diotrephes and so sins, as I said before, sins of thought. This was the mother's sin, we might say, giving birth to sins of words and then primarily sins of deeds. You see, this was a guy who couldn't help himself. Everything, as I said before, had to pass his check. And therefore, not only would he not receive any that were coming from John, he wouldn't receive John himself either. He was a hindrance to the going forth of the gospel. And so, again, this man was a true detriment to the church And these sins are serious. These are not insignificant sins. To not receive John, as I said before, is a direct violation in one sense of what our Lord Jesus Christ said. In Matthew chapter 10 verses 40 and 41. He that receives you receives me. He that receives me receives him that sent me. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, there's those itinerant preachers, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. You see, the very attitude that Diotrephes takes towards John and towards these itinerant ministers were going directly counter to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does this man become a leader in the church? And this is not all that we see concerning this. If you take a look at the fact of his, his not receiving uh, John or the itinerant uh, ministers, go just take your Bible, go back a couple pages, and just listen to these passages of Scripture from 1 John. And notice how contrary, or excuse me, notice how they expose the sin of Diotrephes. Again, Diotrephes and everything that we know about them already. Listen to 1 John chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7. That which we have seen and heard, we declare, unto you, we declare unto you, that you may have fellowship with us. Now, what was John, well, what was Diotrephes breaking down? No fellowship with these itinerant preachers. Shut them down. Don't let them in. We, that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Was Diotrephes walking in the light when he shut down the open door toward those itinerant ministers? He was not. Other passages of scripture as well. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his, hateth his brothers in darkness even till now was Diotrephes showing love to those Christian itinerant ministers? Was he not showing rather characteristics of of hatred and particularly the way John sees the the strong contrast between right and wrong, between that which ought to be done and that which is not done? Diotrephes is coming up short at every turn. We see other passages as well. First John chapter three verses seven through eleven. Little children, no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness, again, this idea of doing righteousness. Notice what um, notice what uh, what, what uh, John says in in third in, in three John uh, verse ten. Wherefore, when I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth. You see, this is all now not just no longer sins of an of attitude; it's sins of action. And what do we see here? Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteous is righteous; even he is, he, is, he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the de- devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of Man manifested, he might destroy the works of the devil. And again, we can, we can go on. Look at verse eleven. Look at verses ten and eleven. I'm sorry, at First John three. And this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. And this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Was Diotrephes exercising love? He was not. We can go on and on. First John chapter four, verses six through eight, verse eleven, verse twenty, verse twenty-one, all expose Diotrephes and the seriousness of his sin when he did not receive either John or the itinerant ministers. But not only do we see this sin of not receiving. We also see the sin of speaking against or speaking evil of John. And again, this is a serious sin as well. Just three passages of scripture very quickly. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice and evil speaking. The very thing that Theotrophes was doing against John. James chapter 4 Speak evil, not one of another, brethren. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Malice, evil speaking is the very thing, again, that Diotrephes was guilty of. And so Diotrephes is guilty of serious sins. And I am not in any way lessening the seriousness of his sin when I'm saying that whatever his sins were, they were not these, if I can put it this way, these first line doctrinal sins. Where in First John, John is saying, if somebody doesn't bring this doctrine, he's antichrist. If somebody brings this doctrine and it's not the doctrine of Jeep, don't let him into your house. But these sins, while they are not that, they are very serious sins, and they are sins in the church. And so again, we have to be again pay attention there. And this brings us to that preeminent sin. I didn't even think of saying it that way. But this brings us to that preeminent sin in Diotrephes. and that sin is his love of preeminence. That is his preeminent sin. That's his core sin. That's what he is. He is, I said before, that guy who has to be that guy. And because of that, he is a detriment. He is destructive to the Church of Jesus Christ. In this, he is very much like Satan himself. Now I want to be careful here because I I can very we can very easily at this time, if I can put it this way, we can over we, we, we we can we can make the atrophies a straw man here if we're not careful we can say things about the atrophies that John is not saying about the atrophies. But we have to make these biblical parallels. And in the biblical parallel, what we see is this, is that the atrophies is kind of manifesting that same essential pride that was in Satan himself. When Satan himself was not content with being the chief of God's created beings. He manifests something of Antichrist. Antichrist, of whom it is said, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now again, don't get me wrong. Diotrephes and whatever else he was, those things were there. Those things were, 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 were in who and what he was. He wasn't the Antichrist, although he's often used as something of a of a picture of the coming Antichrist. He wasn't the devil incarnate, although he is manifesting much by way of what we see in Satan himself. And you understand what I'm saying? We cannot overreach here. It would be very easy, in a sense, to beat up diatrophies. And he's getting kind of a beating right now here this morning. But, but anyway, to, to beat up diatrophies. It would be very easy, as I said before, almost to make a straw man out of him. But what we have to do is we have to stay in order to kind of benefit from the text here, we have to stay within the text because I do think when we come to our points of application, there are some helpful applications that we can make by not overemphasizing or miscasting the sins of diatrophies. And we'll get to that shortly. But you understand what these sins are and you understand what they are looking at. Now, this brings us to the to the next question which kind of gets into our our points of application. And it's this. The question, the most obvious question, is where do we see the sins of the atrophies today? Well, whether or not we realise this, the sins of diatrophies really occur in a number of places. And I'm going to be cutting a little close to the bone here. I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, I don't mean to hurt any but I'm going to be cutting somewhat close to the bone. Sometimes we find the sins of the atrophies in the home. Sometimes Diotrophes takes the place of the husband, hopefully on his worst day, who becomes not the leader of the home that God has ordained, but becomes the tyrant through whom everything must pass muster and through everything must pass scrutiny. And I am not in any way speaking down the biblical role and responsibility of men to be husbands and fathers in their home for men to be everything that God has called us to be. But men, we know ourselves well enough, don't we? And we know how that because and through our sinful nature, how we will very quickly allow what God intends for the benefit of those we love to become nothing more than a hammer with which we beat them over the head. God forbid that that should happen. But we do find the atrophies in the home. It's not only in the husband that we find the atrophies. Sometimes we find diatrophies as the spouse, the woman, the wife. The wife who maybe just because of who and what she is by natural ability. Have you ever, have you ever noticed sometimes in, in relationships, and again, I don't know the congregation that well, so I understand some, but have you ever noticed times in, 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 a, in, a, in a marital relationship how that sometimes there are, there are wives who are just more capable than their men, I see, than their, than their husband? Who are, who are able to do things better, who have clearer, even more logical minds. It happens. But when that's unsanctified, you know what that looks like? That looks like Mrs. Diatrophy showing up. And I don't, I don't experience it, but I can't imagine it would be a good thing. We also see it in another place in the home. Diatrophy shows up on our kids where everything has to be done in order to get the kids' approval. And if the kids don't have their way, and I don't even know the kids understand all this, but they know how to work that, don't they? If they don't get their way, how difficult they can make it. Whether or not they understand or not, I don't know. But sometimes we have junior diatrophies running around. So we often find the the sins of diatrophies in the home. There's another place that we find diatrophies. We can step back a little bit here now. There's, there's, a, there's another place where we often find diatrophies, and that's in the workplace. I think a lot of us have experienced uh, working with diatrophies in the workplace, and maybe some of us are diatrophies in the workplace. Um, I, 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 in, in my work setting, and this, this example always comes to my mind, a good friend of mine, actually, uh, big guy, very forceful personality. I like the guy a lot. I was in a meeting with him one time, uh, and again, I'm, I'm there like, as the, the, like the least important guy in the room. I just happen to be the guy that happens to be in the room while the other guys are talking about all this. And there were engineers there, and the, and, the, and the lead plumber was in there. And in my mind, I'm listening to the conversation, and, and the engineers have a better idea, in my mind anyway. And the lead plumber, who has a very forceful personality, was just by the, was able just by the force of his personality to have the job done his way. I think everybody else in the room just didn't want to fight anymore. Again, we find diatrophies in the workplace, don't we? And sometimes we are diatrophies in the workplace. Now, don't misunderstand me. Individuals have been, some individuals God has gifted with executive abilities. Some individuals God has gifted with natural leadership. And you fail in your gifts before God if you do not exercise them. But you can exercise those gifts, like every gift, in a Christ-like manner. You can exercise your gifts in such a way that when the flower of that gift opens up, the fragrance of that gift is smelled and it doesn't have a stench to it. It reflects or smells something of the fragrance of Christ. So in no way am I calling for husbands not to be husbands or for wives not to be wives or for those with ability in the workplace not to fully manifest everything that God has enabled you to be. Never, never... Don't come home, let's, let, let's none of us come home at the end of the day and say, well, I could have done a better job, but I just don't want to. Let's not be those people. Let's be those people who, for the sake of Christ, be all that God has intended us to be. Amen. So we see the atrophies in these places, but where do we really see the sins of the atrophies? We see it right here. Right here. That's where we see the sins of the atrophies. And the scripture makes this known. Listen to these passages of scripture. Matthew chapter twenty, verses twenty and twenty-eight through twenty-eight. We won't read them all. Matthew chapter twenty, verse uh, twenty. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children. Well, who were who were Zebedee's children? John, our John, and James. And listen to what this sweet mother wanted. Listen to what this sweet mother wanted. She came with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. What do we see here? We see this desire in the field of, I'll use the generic term religion, this desire within the field of religion to dominate, to have preeminence, to come into the first place. And isn't it amazing what our Lord says in response to her? He goes on to say this. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as, you see, even as. And what did the Diotrephes lose sight of? He, because he was seeking his own preeminence, lost sight of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. In, that's what I said before, how does this guy get in the church? How does he end up in leadership in the church? But he does. And not only did he, but he, they do today. And how careful the church of Jesus Christ must be in this regard, that Diotrephes doesn't come knocking at the door, that Diotrephes isn't already in the door. Matthew chapter 23, verses 4 and 8. Speaking of the religious leaders of his day, they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay on them men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move with one, f- with, uh, with one of their fingers, but, all the, 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 but that all their works may be seen of men. They love the uppermost rooms in the feast, cheap seats in the synagogue. Again, this, there's this idea where the, the, all the accru- accoutrements, if I'm saying that correctly, all the trappings of, of religious prestige, uh, all, all kind of conferring on an individual. I mean, people seek these things out. Another passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 22. And there was also a strife among them. Among who? Among the, among the disciples, among the apostles. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? You talk about a head-scratching moment. What's going on here? But you see, if we are so bewildered at their block-headedness, we're not understanding our own nature or sin. Because if these men said that, if those men who were better than any of us men said that, there was also a strife among them which should be a of the greatest. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and they that exercise authority over them are called are called benefactors but it shall not be so among you but he that is greatest among you let him be as the younger he that is chief is he that doth serve for whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth is not he that sitteth, sitteth at meat and this is the this is the key passage but i am among you i am among you jesus says as one that serves how does the diatrophies ever end up in the church May God save us. May God have mercy on us. May God give us spiritual insight. May God grant that every man who steps in a pulpit understand that there is a diatrophies that lurks somewhere within the crevice of his heart. And may the Spirit of God root that diatrophies out. And may the people of God kindly come together. And if they see a diatrophies, say to that man, my brother, my brother, my brother, my brother, is it a Diotrephes that I'm looking at this morning? You know how to do that in the most tender of ways, I'm sure. You know how to do that in a way that builds up the body of Christ and not tears down the body of Christ. But these things must be done. Why? Because Diotrephes is in the church. Diotrephes finds his way in the church. But we also said that there would be a not only an account of Diotrephes, but the action that John is taking toward Diotrephes. And we see this again in verse 10. Wherefore, when I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth. Uh, Verse 11, beloved, following that, uh, well, we'll stay in verse 10. "Uh, Wherefore, when I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth. John is not going to let this pass. John cannot let this pass. And this is going to bring me kind of back a little bit to what I was saying about not overshooting here, not painting... uh, diatrophies in the absolute worst way that we can. Now, you may have heard everything I said and say, well, how can it get any worse about diatrophies? We've really said a lot of things about him. <clears throat> but what I want you to see here is this. At this point, John recognizes that there is great, serious sin in the church. But at this point, John has not taken the formal steps of excommunicating diatrophies. That's significant. Because it, what it reminds us of is this. Well, sin is sin, and sometimes our, quote-unquote, mere character flaws are oftentimes sins that have to be dealt with. Not every sin that manifests itself in the church is a sin worthy of excommunication, you understand? Diotrephes can still be dealt with. Now, the guy right now is a disaster. But what, I can't even say the church history gives us any hope, but let's say this, but what would diatrophies be if that man were sanctified in all those natural gifts? What would diatrophies be if all that he had by way of personality, magnetism, and power, and all those things, what if those things were submitted to the preeminence of Jesus Christ? Oh, what a gift diatrophies would be. And so when we see sins in others, again, we can say, look, if these things would be sanctified, what a gift this person would be to the church of Jesus Christ. And so every time that we see sin in the church, we don't have to run people out. Every time we see sin in the church, we don't have to, again, take hard and fast, you know, bring the, the, the full effect of church discipline. Church discipline, yes. And you know the purpose of church discipline. It's not only to guard the sanctity of the church, it's to see the restoration of the individual sinner. And that sinner restored, oh, what a blessing that one will be to the church. So isn't it interesting that all these things we see about the John doesn't say, get that guy out of the church. He says, when I come, I'll deal with him. I'll remember his words. And again, there's something here where our translations are probably not as forceful as John is being, as John is being right here. But again, as I said before, he's not saying about the what he says about, the, about those who are antichrist in First John, or about the, what he says about those in Second John. So it's an interesting thing to see. Again, by way of application, it kind of helps us to understand how we deal with, Sin when we find it in the church. Another application that I would set before you is this, and we've already touched on this. But is there, are, are there, is there a diatrophies in us? Maybe not a full-blown diatrophies, but are there elements of diatrophies in us? Again, those categories of sin: a thought, word, and deed. You know, am I so concerned about my prestige or my or my my image in you know in the world or among my circle of friends that that, you know, everybody has to think that I have the best insight into it. You know, brother so and so is pretty good. But you know, if you really want the insight, am I that kind of a guy? God save us from that. Are you that kind of a person? So again, we have to be aware of these elements of diatrophies. This, this 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 malicious speech, you have to be aware of that. But the greatest point of application is this. Not is there are some sins of Diotrephes in us. The greatest point of application by way of a question is this. Does Christ have the preeminence in our life? Because that was the core sin. If in Diotrephes' life, Christ had the preeminence, we would not see this. If in Diotrephes' life, Christ was Lord over all in every area of who he was, we would not see this. And so when it comes to this idea of Christ preeminent in the life, what does it look like? Well, it looks first and foremost like you or me coming to that place of repentance before God for our sin and crying out to Jesus Christ to save me from my sin to, in the words of Romans chapter 10, Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Christ will never have preeminence in your life if you have not first and foremost come to him as Savior and Lord. Do you know what it is to have Christ preeminent in that way? Do you know what it is to have Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you know what it is to understand that your soul has been brought to the foot of the cross? And you remember that old hymn, that gospel hymn, There's Room at the Cross for You. Oh, though millions have come, there's still room for one. You remember the old song. Mm-hmm. Have you been there? You see, Christ can never be preeminent if you have not first and foremost come to Him as Savior and Lord. But what about the preeminence of Christ in our daily walk? This moves us into the area of sanctification. You display the preeminence of Christ when you, as a child of God, live a life that God has called you to by way of sanctification of life. And I think one of the ways in which we really see sanctification in the, underneath the umbrella of the preeminence of Christ <clears throat> is particularly in that area of Christian sanctification that is known as the Christian's mortification of sin. You know that task that you take up to be killing the sin that's in you? You know that task that every time you try to do it seems to get harder and harder and that's why we have to do it by the Spirit of God? But again, Christ being preeminent means that you and I will not only come to Christ as Savior, that you and I will come to Christ as the one who is sanctifying all of our lives. You see, because if we don't, the same stuff that the atrophies was made up of, you and I are made up of that same stuff. And so if we do not have the preeminence of Christ sanctifying every element of who we are, we run a risk of becoming the same detriment to one another that Diotrephes was to that church. And may, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that never be said of us. May, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the work of the Spirit be so great, the effect of the love of Christ be so compelling, the wonder and the splendor of Jesus Christ as exalted as Lord over all, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. May Christ be so huge in your horizon that you would never think of anyone or anything else having preeminence. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that from time to time in your word, you make known to us these things, these characteristics, these sins. And Father, in our most honest moments, we see and understand that we are all prone to this in some way, shape, or form, some more than others, Some more than others by way of natural makeup. Others more than others by way of life callings. So, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do ask and pray that you would keep us from becoming diatrophies within our workplaces, within our homes, and especially, Father, within the church of Jesus Christ. Grant father, to every church, but to this particular church, father, such a vision of the preeminence of Christ, that we as a people will rejoice and wonder and look at all at the wonderful, beautiful Savior that you have given to us. Grant this, we pray, father, that we might worship and glorify you as you ought to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.